last announcement there. Okay, so we'll go ahead and continue in our study this morning. So this is the title slide for our series. Um, let's see, is that washed out a little bit? I was wondering if maybe the windows, you know, if you guys can see that fine. If anyone wants to, it'd be the left side and those little drawstrings kind of toggle the thing. Okay, so anyways, we have um, this is our title slide. Uh, we're in a study in theology. Um, this particular week, and let me just step here and back again. But this is the book. Someone asked me about the book on it. I happen to have it with me this morning, but it's there's a lot in there. It's thick. It's over like over 1,200 pages in it. There's no way I'm covering everything in here. That's not happening. Um, that, that's too deep. That's too technical. Uh, we'll be bogged down for the rest of your life. Um, so we're not going to do that, um, but um, it might be a resource that you know if you're interested in having. Um, say our systematic theology, but I'm kind of going through, and, and uh, I'm not going to get um, get to every um, doctrine that's mentioned in there. Um, a systematic theology book attempts to go through uh, bi- basic Bible teachings and go through that systematically and um, outline what the Bible teaches on that. Um, in a format that's different than you know than the way the Bible uh, lays that out, and um, of course, in no way is that suggesting that this is superior to the Bible formatting. Rather, it's attempt to understand the Bible teaching, and it's uh, just a different way of organizing it to try to do that. Um, we're in our uh, so it's kind of a, a series that goes beyond our first section. Uh, you might call it, I suppose, Unit One: uh, Doctrine of God. And so that's the focus of our lessons now. So uh, you can see on the next slide, lesson three, we're going to look at the Trinity uh, today. Okay. So we'll go ahead and uh, get going in that. All right, um, let's go ahead and, and start uh, with a little bit of uh, some introductory thoughts. Okay. Um, so we'll start with the definition of the Trinity. Now, this is a a teaching that is found in the scriptures, but the word Trinity itself is not found in the scriptures. Uh, But the concept is found in the scriptures. Um, I'm imagining most people that are hearing this, I think definitely those who are here in the room, since I can actually see who you are, uh, you've been around um, in church uh, and been Christians long enough that I think you have a basic concept of the Trinity. And I don't know who I'm looking at online or who might be watching this even in future weeks. Um, so I have no way of knowing um, where those online are in this. Um, but uh, this is a, a concept that um, has been debated in church history. Um, there was a, a man, I think his name was Arius, um, right along the time of the mid-300s, uh, when a controversy arose over this teaching, uh, they ended up settling the controversy at the Council of Nicaea. Uh, so if you're not familiar with church councils, um, there have been times when broader Christianity has come together and tried to um, decide some sort of a matter, some sort of a debate that was going on within Christianity. Now, I use that that umbrella widely, you actually um, see one of the church councils in uh, the scripture recorded in the book of Acts. Uh, Sometimes people refer to these councils by the 
the location where the council took place. So you have the Council of Jerusalem uh, when they came together and were trying to you know, think through Gentiles and, and their place within the church. And so there was some controversy rising among the Gentile Christians and the, the non uh, or the Jewish Christians. And um, so uh, you see one of those recorded there, but at that time, the Christianity was kind of there. It was at Jerusalem. It wasn't even widespread yet. Um, and what was being taught in the church was biblical, although we see in the New Testament, though, different teachings started creeping in and different errors. The, the reason I say that is I don't want to sound like I'm endorsing these church councils as they're always like some sort of you know, group of godly men that are like the apostles, uh, almost inspired. Like you take the councils and say, okay, because there was a church council, that's how we know something's true. In fact, that type of thinking is eventually what kind of morphed and led to uh, Catholic church tradition. Um, of course, back at that time, they didn't have denominations. Uh, that largely came after the Protestant Reformation. So um, if you were looking for a church back then, maybe you moved to a new town and you looked for a church, you didn't look for a Baptist church or Presbyterian church or Methodist church, you know, Pentecostal church. Uh, you weren't looking for those because they didn't exist. You would go find a local church of believers, a local group of Christians, and maybe as you began to worship with them, you might discover that there was doctrinal differences from what you understood the scripture to be teaching and what was maybe the position of the pastor in that church. Now, probably all of us have been around long enough to know that even, even in a church like ours, there's going to be doctrinal differences. Not everyone quite agrees on teaching exactly the same uh, within our church. Um, so the, the church at large, you know, churches in various towns with their pastors in various areas. Um, Arius wasn't a pastor. I understand him to be an elder, um, not an elder, like a deacon, um, or one of the leaders in the church, but not the pastor uh, that was there. Um, but anyways, uh, that his teaching was uh, basically that Christ was a created being and not actually God, and he was challenging the concept of the Trinity, and that raised up a stir in the church where you know some people were saying, oh, oh what he said, that makes sense. Uh, and they were going with this teaching, and others were like, no, 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 no. And there, this controversy arose, and a lot of the various church leaders, which means uh, the, the theologians, or the, you know, and a theologian is just someone who spends a lot of time really trying to study the Bible and trying to teach what the Bible teaches. So when I use that word, I don't know what that means to different people, but... Um, in our times, it might conjure up the thoughts of some college professor at a Bible college, they didn't, but they didn't necessarily have that back then. Although, I mean, sometimes they did have religious schools and places for training, but just would have been anyone. It would have been a pastor in a town or someone that was deeply, um, deeply committed to Bible study and trying to bring out the teachings of the Bible. You might refer to as a theologian. So theologians from around the um, Christian community gathered together in a place called Nicaea and they debated and discussed and uh, the, the end result of the council is that the, the majority opinion, and I don't even know what kind of majority it was, was it a vast majority? 
I mean, it was enough for them to make official declaration to confirm the teaching of the Trinity. And so, um, so I just mentioned that by way of introduction to it, that this has been a, a topic that has been debated in the church. Um, largely mainline church denominations, both Protestant and Catholic, and other mainline denominations that may not be exactly Protestant. Um, Baptist is kind of that way, by the way. We kind of ran, the Baptist history ran parallel to Protestant, uh, the Protestant Reformation, but wasn't actually Protestant, uh, per se. Um, but um, even Baptists, uh, for example, have affirmed and hold to the teaching of the Trinity. Okay? And so, um, let's uh, take a look here then at a definition uh, that, you know, you can define it in different ways. This is one possible way uh, to word it. And this is uh, Wayne Grudem that wrote this systematic theology book. This is his definition. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God and there is one God. Okay? So I've heard it worded uh, differently than that, but the basic concepts are the same. Um, in the other ways I've heard it worded. Uh, the concept, again, of the Trinity, there's just one God, but that God exists in three persons, and then just names uh, what those uh, persons are. So again, the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, but the concept does. And we're going to take a look at some of the verses in the Bible, but I'll uh, mention a phrase that I heard growing up, um, and I think a lot of churches hear something like this. Um, when I went by memory, I, I think of it as worded something like this. What in the Old Testament is concealed, in the New Testament is revealed. Okay? And the, the thought behind that, of course, is that uh, there are teachings of the Bible that are hinted at or partly revealed in the Old Testament, but maybe the concept isn't completely clear but then there's further revelation in the New Testament that adds more clarity to that and so um, I think this applies to a lot of different topics where that is true um, but uh, the Trinity is one of those topics now I just did a little googling just like well I wonder where that phrase originally came from and apparently it came from Augustine Augustine was one of the early church fathers I think he I didn't look up the dates that he was alive, but I want to say in the 400s. Uh, just that, that's just memory, so I could be totally off on that, but that's somewhere in the back of my mind. I feel like it was somewhere around there. Um, you might consider him to be one of the early church fathers. Now, when you read these early church fathers, again, some of them have some teachings where you're like, eh. <laughs> and um, I feel like there's a few things that Augustine uh, promoted or believed that were kind of like, uh, you know, from our understanding, to be like, eh, eh, I don't know about that one. Um, so again, I'm not doing wholesale endorsement of these individuals, uh, including Augustine, but apparently he's one who mentioned that thought. Um, so it's just kind of a paraphrase of Augustine's quote. All right, um, so here's uh, what uh, Wayne Grudem says in his book. Although the, the doctrine of the Trinity is not explicitly found in the Old Testament, several passages suggest or even imply that God exists as more than one person. So what we're going to do right now is just take a look at the Old Testament and begin to see these things. 
Okay, so for the first verse on our slide here, it says Trinity in the Old Testament. We'll take a look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Now this is in the creation account. And in Genesis 1, 26, uh, when God uh, has finished creating many things, um, he created light on day one, then he separates the waters, the waters above in the firmament from below, Day two, um, dry land appears. Uh, day three, with the, the plants being created on the dry land, the sun, moon, and stars on day four. Day five, animals that are animals of the air and animals of the, uh, the ground. Uh, sorry, of the sea, I should say, on day five. Um, I don't know, you know, I sometimes wonder about that. I think of the bat when I think of that. Was, bat cre- was a bat created on day five or on day six? And I think day five. It tends to fly around probably on day five, an animal of the air. You can't say uh, things like, well, mammals were created on this day or that because bats classified as an, a mammal. That's our classification system. Uh, but I suspect uh, the mammals that tended to fly around in the air like a bat, and there aren't that many of them that do that, but um, would have been the day five. And then, of course, the land animals on day six, the things that tend to walk around on dry land uh, on day six. And then you get to man's creation, and uh, God says in verse 26, um, re- regarding man, let us make man in our, a plural uh, noun, or a plural um, possessive adjective there, um, our image after our likeness. And then just a couple of chapters over in chapter 3, verse 22, um, this is when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And so now they've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the name God gave to that implies that there was knowledge to be gained by eating that. You would uh, now have the discernment between good and evil. Now God understood good versus evil and he discerned and that and discernment's the idea of being able to tell the difference between and separating and realizing you've got this and you've got that. There, uh, mankind, I think, prior to that, I don't know what's the best word of uh, best word to use to characterize what man was like before he ate of the tree. But I might say a naive, like a child who, well, maybe like my mom. I actually just had that pop in my mind a story of my mom when she was about four or five years old, and uh, my grandma told her, be careful, that stove is hot. And my mom looked at the stove, and she thought, no, it's not, because it wasn't red anymore. It's not hot. Like, my mom doesn't know what she's talking about, so she took her hand and put it right on it, screaming, and my grandma's like, I told you not to do that. Okay, naive, not enough knowledge there to differentiate or know... And uh, so mankind, I think, was just kind of kind of clueless on, didn't know what wickedness was, didn't have a concept of wickedness. Uh, then, of course, couldn't distinguish between the two. And now he, uh, mankind is eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And verse 26, uh, sorry, verse 22 in chapter 3, Behold, God, God is speaking here, the man is become as one of us. And again, a plural there, to know good and evil. Now, there's no comment in these verses describing the Trinity or you know, saying there's one God but three persons, uh, but it's hinted at in these verses. Or later in the book of uh, Genesis, uh, chapter 11, verse 7, 
Um, This is uh, at the Tower of Babel, or Babel if you prefer. And the uh, people are rebelling against God. They're they're rising up thinking they're going to unite. It's kind of, they have this world system, worldview thinking that we're going to challenge God. We're going to we're going to be great and mighty. And yeah, you kind of still see that attitude a little bit uh, today. Um, it's kind of hinted at, even though they don't say it this way, in, in some of the COVID response, a stronger together. It's things like, we will overcome. There's nothing we can't do if we all work together. You know, that kind of uh, thinking. And God said, let us go down. And when we go down there, confound their language but again you get that plural let us go down or in isaiah and i'll have to read this off the board because um it's actually oh you know what i have it it didn't print clearly here but actually never mind i got it over here Uh, isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 in like fashion also i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us okay so these are examples um of verses in the bible where um the Trinity is hinted at. Um, now, these are not; uh, these are just our beginning ones. We're going to take a look at some other ones. So let's um, continue on to our uh, next slide, and we'll take a look at one in Psalm 45, uh, verses 6 through 7. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest, or you love, righteousness, and hate wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Okay, so now, where's the Trinity in this? Well, it's uh, focusing on uh, the words God, and we get a commentary from uh, Hebrews chapter 1, when it actually uh, quotes, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So if you uh, go back here, um, what it's implying, thy throne, O God, and of course the New Testament ties this to Jesus Christ in Hebrew. So let's stop for a second and just say this. The verse is hinting at in the Old Testament that it's talking to two different individuals, God the Father and God the Son. It doesn't come right out and say it in this verse, but let's read it again. And again, especially with the uh, revelation of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, starts off in uh, this passage here, speaking to Jesus, your throne, O God, and it calls him God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a right scepter, which means a scepter that rules rightly. Um, and now we know uh, from Bible teaching that Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David and that he's going to rule as a king. Okay, But then it says, you love righteousness and hate wickedness, therefore Therefore God, therefore God Jesus, thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. Now, being anointed always happened by someone else. Um, So you see, for example, when King Saul was anointed as the first king of Israel, the prophet Samuel anointed him. And so in this verse, um, God, speaking to God, God the Son, Hey, God the Son, thy God, maybe that feels a little disrespectful to say it that way. I don't like saying, hey, God the Son. I don't know. That's just my own thought, by the way. Um, But I'm I'm critiquing myself. I felt a little too uh, informal. Um, But 
Jesus, thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. Anointed him to be what? I mean, basically his rulership here. Okay? And again, we see the commentary from uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, um, where it's saying to the Son, your throne, O God, is forever. Okay, so let's take a look at some other verses in uh, the Old Testament here. Let's look at Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto uh, my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now we again have a New Testament commentary on this. And this is in Matthew chapter 22, um, verses 41 through 46. Um, so I'm going to read from that here in a moment, Matthew chapter 22. Um, but again, rereading Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, okay, um, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Well, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, so now Jesus is going to pose a question to them. They were often posing a question to Jesus, often trying to trip him up or get him to say something that could get him into trouble with the people. But um, here he poses a question to them because they've been challenging his authority as a prophet. They've been challenging his authority as the Messiah. And he says, well, what think ye of Christ? Now, of course, Christ means the Messiah. It's the Greek uh, version of the Hebrew word that was often translated Messiah. Um, just in case there's anyone, I, I, no one in the room, I think, I think you've, you understand this, but hey, maybe there's someone online that's like, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name, which would be a very logical thought, considering that when we say people's names now, we usually say first and last name. But first and last name is more of a modern concept. It wasn't a concept back then. Um, so, yeah, uh, Jesus Christ is, means Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. All right, what think ye of Christ? Okay, I got a question for you. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Well, he's the son of David. I mean, they understood that, that the Messiah would come from the line of David. So that's why they say in verse 42, the son of David. But then he has a follow-up question. Well, okay, if that's true... Now, there's a certain amount of respect that a father, a son should have for their father. And uh, really, especially in, in some cultures, including Jewish culture, the son would have been submissive to the father in that clan family relationship. Okay. So if he's the son of David, um, he says in verse 43, well, how then, how then is it possible that David in the spirit called him Lord, calls him master. And then he quotes this Old Testament, Psalm 110, one verse, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And now he's talking to Bible scholars, religious leaders. And it says, No man was able to answer him a word, neither durst or neither dared any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Because they were put on the spot. Um, they had challenged uh, him uh, on the concept that he might be the Messiah, and uh, they challenged him on terms that he just shot down. 
But here's the point uh, that we're looking at. We're not going to get in deeper into that particular passage. Um, but the thought uh, here is that um, Jesus, as Lord, the, the son of David, the Lord said unto my Lord. Okay. Now we'll take a look at another passage here. Isaiah 63 verse 10. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Now in this particular uh, passage, I'll read a few more verses related to this. Isaiah 63 verse 7 says this, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. In other words, I'm reading verse 7 to say we're talking about God here, the loving kindness of God. But then in verse 10 says that when God had all that loving kindness towards Israel, what did they do? They rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Now it's hinted at that there's a, there's a distinction being made between the Lord they've rebelled against. They not only rebelled against him, but they have rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. And so it's hinted at that these are two different uh, things uh, going on here. Okay, um, and then Isaiah chapter 48, uh, verse 16, in similar fashion. And now the Lord God and his Spirit um, hath sent me. And so it's hinted at. And that's what we find in, in a number of these Old Testament passages, even though it doesn't come out as clearly as the New Testament and talk about uh, God uh, having three persons, it's hinted at there. Okay? So what we'll go ahead and do is take a look at some verses now in the New Testament, starting with Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Um, what we find in the New Testament is clearer examples. Now, I think it's clear in the Old Testament. Um, it's just not ex as explicitly stated, but there's... There's a number of passages we didn't look at of all. There's other passages besides what we looked at where in the Old Testament there's uh, hints at or even coming out and, and talking about two members or more of the uh, Trinity at the same time. But here in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, we see it very clearly. So again, in the, what's in the Old Testament concealed, sometimes in the New Testament revealed. Matthew three sixteen, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway or immediately out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting or resting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so we see here you have Jesus, uh, God in the flesh. Now, a future chapter we'll look at the deity of Christ, so we're not going to look at that in, in great detail today. Um, but... Uh, we'll just start today by, with that thought that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses uh, 5 through 8 is one. If someone you know, uh, is unfamiliar with that Bible teaching and wants to just go take a peek at one passage uh, that mentions that. Uh, but So we have all three members of the Trinity here. If we understand that Jesus is God in the flesh, then you have Jesus at his baptism, and the heavens open, and the Spirit of God descends now it doesn't say he he was a dove um i don't know what that looked like did it actually have i mean was it actually a dove 
Like, did God take on the form of a dove and fly down that way? Um, it does say like a dove, and I, I suspect not. I mean, that's just my own thought. Um, you know, most of us are familiar with doves. I don't know how often you've been around doves when they're cooing and the, the way they fly. They're just a very gentle uh, bird. Um, I feel guilt now. I've hunted doves. <laughs> Poor gentle doves. I'm not into uh, torturing animals, so I'll tell you a quick story. And some of you, maybe some of you might feel, you might have bad thoughts of me after this. I actually think what I did, I mean, bad thoughts of the fact that you now know that I've hunted doves. Um, but I shot a dove and it wasn't dead. And I don't want them to sit there and, you know, have slow, agon, you know, agonize. I want it to get over with quick. So you do something called ringing the neck of a, a bird. And so I was just going to ring it, which is to, to break the neck really quickly. And I did it too hard. And the body went flying, and I was holding his head in my hand. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> But it worked um, quickly over. Um, but if you're uh, not real comfortable with uh, the concept of hunting, you might be thinking, oh, how cruel. Okay. Of course, I look in the Bible, and the Lord allows for eating animals. So if someone is anti-hunting, maybe they, I'd have to wonder, do you still go to McDonald's, though? and get a burger. All right, well, anyways, enough of that. I'm just kind of having a little fun with it. Um, but um, I suspect the, the the Holy Spirit probably came down in something that was reminiscent of a dove, as in something that was gentle and, and coming down. But there was something there that was able to, to be noticed in some way. And then it said there was a voice from heaven, so there was something else unusual. So you have some miraculous things going on, but here you hear the voice of God saying this is, and that would be God the Father. So all three members of the Trinity present at the baptism of Jesus. Um, you also see it clearly stated in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 19. Um, and of course in verse 18, he says, All power is given unto me. Go ye therefore, Jesus speaking, and teach all nations. Um, and means making disciples and then baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So there's a number of um, passages in the New Testament that make clear statements of the three persons of the Godhead. Okay, or we have uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, um, tw- uh, let's see, yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Oop, thought that was up there. There we go. Now I'll read this in just a moment. But uh, Grudem in his book mentions this. When we realize that the New Testament authors generally use the name God, Greek word Theos, to refer to God the Father, and the name Lord, Greek word Kyrios, to refer to God the Son, then it is clear that there is another Trinitarian expression in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. So when you stop and think about that, I mean, most of us are familiar with um, hearing uh, Jesus referred to as something like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. And we could say, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Oftentimes we hear him referred to as Lord. Um, That's the Greek word kurios. But frequently when God the Father is being referenced, it uses the word theos. You know, that doesn't mean without exception, but that generally is the way the language in the New Testament is. And so when we look at this verse with that in mind, let's read. Now there are diversities of gift, but the same spirit. 
and there are differences of administrations but the same Lord and there are diversities of operations but in the same God which worketh all as in the first one the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit the second one the Son of God Lord and the third one the God the Father the same God now I suppose if um, a verse like this was our strongest evidence it would be easier for someone maybe to say well okay it doesn't actually say that there you've got God versus Lord but that's not clearly but again um, and that would be kind of like some of the Old Testament passages maybe it's like okay it's kind of concealed and in there but when you put that with the other teachings uh, other verses like we've already seen at Jesus' baptism or the clear mentioning of it in the um, Great Commission uh, then no doubt I, I don't think that there's doubt that this is referencing the Trinity uh, here in these verses. Okay, or how about um, a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 on our next slide here. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. And so you have here, again, a Trinitarian expression of that. And of course, the word Trinitarian, just referring to the Trinity. I think there are some churches, what is there? No, there's a Unitarian church. Some churches use the word Trinitarian in their, um, I was trying to remember if a denomination uses that, but actually I think I was thinking of Unitarians. And um, I won't get into Unitarian, but don't go to Unitarian church. <laughs> Not to say that much. All right. Um, how about then as we kind of come near the end and there's many more things that we can say here but I'm going to end with three statements that kind of summarize uh, some thoughts here and then maybe I'll, I'll do even some additional closing thoughts after this okay so three statements that summarize the biblical teaching uh, that we have here uh, the first one is God is three persons and we've we've already seen quite a few verses that support this but if we say that a little bit more clearly, we could say this. Okay, if there are three persons, God the Father is not God the Son. So there's a distinction. God the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not God the Father. The Holy Spirit's not God the Son, Jesus. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. They're distinctly different from each other. Um, so... Um, John 1 1 is just one example of this and I don't have this uh, this won't show up on our slide here but I'll read it to you and of course you could follow along if you like um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made I suspect all of us in the room are familiar with this passage but uh, just in case I should have someone listening now or in the future that's unfamiliar with that word, word. Okay, it's, it's capitalized for one. It's, it's understood to be a name. It's a name given to Jesus. It, he is the logos. The Greek word logos means word. Um, he is the living word of God. Just like when we have the Bible, it's the written word of God. It's the, the record of God. It, it, it's a testament to God's thoughts. It's his words. Uh, Jesus is a testament to God. When Jesus spoke, he was God. He was speaking. Uh, he, he, when he lived, his life spoke. 
And so Jesus himself was the living word of God. But um, if it's unclear to someone, well, how do we know that's Jesus? It doesn't actually say Jesus there. John 1 verse 14, just a little bit further down in that same passage says this, the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Um, and then in verse 15, John, speaking of John the Baptist, John, not, not the writer of John, this is in the book of John. So the apostle John, or sometimes referred to as the evangelist, John the evangelist, that's a different John. Remember, they didn't have last names back then. Uh, and no, John's last name was not Baptist. And no, he didn't found the Baptist denomination. Um, although I've heard people joke about that. I don't know if there maybe I don't know if there's anyone that actually ever thought that for real. Uh, but no, the Baptists do not trace their heritage back back to John the Baptist. He was John, who part of his ministry he baptized, and that was a major thing that he did as he preached uh, a baptism of repentance. The Bible says, but in verse 15, John bare witness of him. And cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that comes after me is preferred before me. Now we read a little bit later in that same one, in verse 22. Then said they unto him, Who are you? Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou? And John the Baptist answered in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as said the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. And he's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, which says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, or in the wilderness areas, a highway for our God. And so we understand that was the ministry of John the Baptist. He was preparing the way for the Messiah. He was preaching about him. So that's further evidence, again, that basically in John 1, 1, that the word is Jesus, the Messiah, and John the Baptist clearly identified him that way. And this is the guy I was talking about. And he quotes Isaiah. This is my ministry to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so that's just a, one example. Again, to go back to 1.1. In the beginning was the word, the, the, Jesus Christ. He was with God and he was God. And so there's a distinction made between he was with God Unless someone's trying to suggest that he was with himself, and that's what it's trying to say, but that's not what it's, it's teaching. Okay? And it says he was in the beginning with God. He's God himself. He was in the beginning with God, and nothing was created without him because he was there. He is God, and yet there's a distinction. Now, some have tried to equate the Holy Spirit just simply being the power of God. Like maybe he's not a distinct person. Okay? Uh, but if the Holy Spirit is understood simply to be the power of God rather than a distinct person, then a number of passages would not make much sense. So for example, Luke 4.14, Jesus returned in the, and quoting here, uh, Luke 4.14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, or in Acts 10.38, how, um, quoting again, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And of course, this is a recounting of Jesus' ministry um, there in the book of Acts. But God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. So it's like, here you have a kind of a Trinity expression. God the Father anointed Jesus, and what did he anoint him with? With the Holy Spirit. Um, so there's distinctions that are made here, and that's the first thought on one, that God is three distinct persons. They're not the same. 
Okay, then a second statement in summary here um, is that each person is fully God. God the Father is God. God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. And so we see clear evidence um, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, for example, where uh, God the Father is sovereign Lord of all and ruling over all, and we see him as the creator. Most people wouldn't question that. Most of the question comes on whether God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are God. Uh, But God the Son is fully God, and again, we'll develop that in a future when we get into the deity of Christ um, in more. Um, But let me uh, just kind of... um, do a side reading here. Um, in fact, I'll have to summarize this because I'm, I'm basically out of time uh, here. But the Jehovah's Witnesses translate their own translation, uh, adding to uh, John 1 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, but they put in a letter A. There was The Word was a God, not the God. And uh, the problem, and maybe I'll, I might follow up next week by reading this a little bit um, further, but um, the, grammat- the grammatical rules of Greek do not indicate that that's a correct one. There, there's nothing there, by the way. There's no, there's no definite article, the, is their argument, so therefore they say, well, then it's just a God, because he's not the God. The problem is that there's other passages in that same chapter where they don't do the same thing. They do it right there. But there's several spots where um, God is referenced elsewhere, and they don't do that. Um, and so they're not consistent with it, like verse 6, uh, verse 12, verse 13, say things like power to become children of God. They don't say power to become children of a God. So they're very selective in it. It's inconsistent. They have admitted that the Greek grammar does not indicate that that's the case. Um, when God is part of the predicate, which is part of the verb and the parts that follow the verb, um, it no definite article is needed to understand it that way. So um, the Holy Spirit is fully God. And Matthew twenty-eight nineteen 19 um, is one that we looked at already that clearly says that. And then... Again, I'm trying to keep things moving along, so we're kind of flying through the end here. Uh, But that there is just one God. So one of the great passages in the scripture, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, who is like unto thee, O Lord? I don't know, a rhetorical question. Among the gods, among, among the gods that people talk about, who is like thee? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is there's no one like you. There's just one God. Now, there's lots of false gods that people make up, but no one's like the real God. Isaiah 45, verse 5, has it very clearly stated. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me, that thou may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. And then later in that same passage, there is no God else beside me, verse 21, a just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. So we have no one else to turn to for salvation, because he's the only God. 
All right, well, that's all we'll be able to do today on the Trinity, although I don't plan on spending a lot more time on the concept uh, of the Trinity. Um, and I had some other closing thoughts I thought about saying. But